Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Happy holidays once again to you, my friends. Happy to have you listening to another edition of JAS. And it seems like a lot of uh, folks who do podcasts are taking the week off. I actually did on my AAC report. So consider this my sacrifice to give you some podcast programming for your listening pleasure to finish out this Christmas week. Coming up on the show in just a little bit, Eric Lopez will be here. He's, of course, with uh, the Black and Gold Banneret covering UCF sports and also covers the Magic for 24-7 News. So we'll talk about the, the Knights, the Magic, and some other stuff in just a little bit. Eric's standing by in the virtual green room and will be with us in just a moment. So how about the Seattle Seahawks going back to the future? That's right. They have gone back to Marshawn Lynch due to injuries at the running back position. They've been pretty much decimated there. So they have gone back to Marshawn I'm just about the action boss, Lynch. Love that quote. That was just so awesome. Yes, he's he's a he's a great uh, press find. He gives you 10, 15 seconds of great stuff, and that's it. <laughs> he's also given the CL Seahawks some uh, great play at the running back position now, albeit he's been out for a little bit. So what can he really contribute? We will still have to find that out, but he is certainly... In Seahawks lore, many great, thundering, powerful runs. None of them topped the playoff one against the New Orleans Saints, where he was just pushing guys off of him like, get off me. And had the crowd erupting so wildly that the Richter scale was registering like a mini earthquake. But we'll see. Marshawn Lynch back with the Seahawks. They also re-signed another one of their former guys, Robert Turbin, as well. So they're going going for guys who know their system and know the Seahawk way. Be interesting to watch how that transforms. And how about this story? The New England Patriots lend their one of their team planes to Navy to fly to their bowl game. They're playing in the Liberty Bowl. And how about that? Now... Like I hate I hate the Patriots as much as anybody, you know all that winning and all that stuff. Their shenanigans they pull, but got to give them props. This is a nice move, and you know the red, white, and blue Patriot plane flying the the, the Navy midshipmen into town. That's a pretty strong move. So got to give them props for that. And it is our pleasure to welcome back to the Jeff Allen Sports Talk podcast. Eric Lopez is here. He, of course, covers UCF for uh, the uh, UCF Banneret. Also uh, covers the magic for uh, 24-7 News and a multitude of other things. I call him (laughs) one of the hardest working men in show business. Happy holidays to you, Eric. Thanks for being here. Happy holidays to you, Jeff. I don't know if I'm one of the hardest. I definitely have a lot of hats, though, uh, that I wear. So it's, uh, it is a, a unique uh, hats to have and multiple positions, but a lot of fun nonetheless. Hey, it keeps you busy, keeps you out of trouble, I'm, I'm guessing, too, right? <laughs> I think that's the goal. There you go. So, uh, of course, again, you were with uh, Black and Gold Banneret, so we'll do a little UCF talk to start off. And uh, 
The season has come to an end. It was not the season many had hoped for, but still a solid Spectacular season with 10 wins and culminating with a Gasparilla Bowl victory over Marshall. So how would you put this uh, past season into perspective? You know, that's a tricky question, right? Because I think if we would have had this conversation prior to 2017, I think we would be, hey, great season, good, strong season, 10 wins, a bowl win. You beat your rival in South Florida. You know, a lot of positives. And I think that's the case. The problem is you're following up two of the greatest seasons in the history of the program where you go undefeated back-to-back in the regular season in 17 and 18. So now all of a sudden the expectations are super high, and it's kind of like sometimes be careful what you wish for. You know, I think we've always wanted to be this big-time program, and, well, in a way now we're kind of like a big-time program because – we had a good 10-win season, and people are disappointed. So it's we're, we've, we've joined the club of other programs like the Alabamas and the Clemsons who, and the Ohio States where it's win the whole thing or bust. And I feel like with UCF, it's if we don't win the conference or get to the New Year's Six, it's a disappointment. Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. But it's it's been a unique year. The, the word I would use, I think it was a transitional year. Um, going into the season, Jeff, we didn't know who our quarterback was going to be not only for this season long-term, but the moving past this season. And I think we now know who it is, and that's the Dylan Gabriel, who's the bright spot. So I think in a way it's kind of a transitional year from what transpired in 17 and 18, I think, and then moving forward. That's the best word I could come up with you on that. I know it's a long-winded answer, but mm-hmm. it's kind of complicated based on everything that's happened with this program prior to this season that I think it's contributed to maybe how people feel about this year. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, 10 wins in a transition year, boy, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's definitely not uh, too too bad whatsoever. And, you know, I always think back to Nebraska. You know, they were still winning nine games a year w- with Bo Pelini at the helm. They would kill for a nine-win season right now. <laughs> I agree. Well, and I think that's a great point. And I think it's important for this program to con- – you know, regardless whether you play for a conference championship or not, uh, and if you're not, regardless whether you're a New Year's Six or not, for some of the fans that feel it's New Year's Six or bust, I do think it is important. You make a great point there to show consistency because I think one of the problems we've had as a program is we would have monster years run. This ain't the first time we've had some great runs, but we usually follow it up with a whimper. I think back to 2010. We finally, you know, we win our first bowl game ever. We win the Liberty Bowl against Georgia. Uh, you know, finish in the top 25. And then all of a sudden you follow that up with a five and six season and you miss the bowl game in 2011. 2013, you know, twenty. we had a great run from 2012 to 2014 when you win two American Conference Championships. You win the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor um, and, and all that. And you follow it up with a winless season in 15. So I think that's a great point you're making there is as important, I think, for this program long-term is to maintain the consistent, uh, consistency, even if you don't win the league, even if you're not playing for New Year's Six, try to maybe build a run here where you win nine, ten games a year. And that's kind of what Boise State has done the last two decades. And you see they always get the benefit of the doubt from polls and media. And I think if UCF can continue on this trend, they will receive benefits of the doubt from pollsters and media moving forward. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, and, you know, I also like to look at this aspect of it as well. And, you know, and I've been critical of Josh Heupel in the play-calling area from time to time. But he is, what, 23-4? and four? I mean, <laughs> that's, that is that is nothing to sneeze at. No, and but we knew this he was going to get scrutinized maybe more than uh, maybe he should based on 
what he what he inherited and what he was following. He was following the first ever undefeated season in program history, a season that was celebrated uh, by declaring ourselves national champions. So there is no more pressure than following that, and I think that's kind of been the transition for him. Is you know people expect him to be perfect when it's hard to be perfect. Um, and that's, I think you're right. I think that's part of it. We kind of, and I think this season was kind of an example of that. We kind of nitpicked wins, didn't we, Jeff? I mean, there was a lot of times we win by, you know, the Houston game comes to mind. We kind of had that game in control and people were nitpicking certain things in the halves. I'm sure, I'm sure there's people out there that are nitpicking the Gasparilla Bowl on how they gave up some points in the second half and why weren't, why weren't they, uh, going full throttle and, and blowing, running up the score and things like that. So I think fans, with social media and everything, they're always going to nitpick things, and I think that's just the world that we live in. You're right. I think Hypo's just kind of been uh, part of that. And so as we put this season to a close, you know, 2020, you know, in August, he'll be here before you know it. Um, you know, what do you think will happen now as we go into the next phase of UCF football? Well, I think the interesting thing that's going to be fascinating is what happens with Mackenzie Milton. Uh, does he come back? Does he not come back? And even if he does come back, what is going to happen there? Because, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel's really good and really talented. And just because Mackenzie Milton comes back to the field may, does not mean that he's necessarily automatically going to be the same guy that he was a couple years ago. So I think we start with that. Either way, we should be in good shape at the quarterback position going into next season. And I think that alone, with Dylan, uh, the experience he gained this year should help UCF be better next season offensively. I think there were some categories where they dropped off, and I think part of that was lack of experience uh, there. But, you know, do they improve? You know, obviously they got to replace some guys uh, offensively and defensively. But I expect them to be a team that's going to be, again, probably a co-favorite in the American Conference alongside Cincinnati. I think they're going to be a preseason top 25 team. And I think the expectations are still going to be super high for this program, Jeff. And I think the question's going to be, have the fans this year, have the fans vented and let out frustrations over what's transpired, whether it be getting left off the playoff, not feeling getting the, that they feel that they're getting the respect they deserve, losing Mackenzie Milne to that horrific injury. Do they kind of let all that go and judge next year on next year, or do we continue to compare next year to what we've done the last couple of years, I think will determine whether people kind of – well, you know, what they consider a successful season. Because that's the question, Jeff. What is considered a successful season for this program moving forward Because for the fan bases? I think that's kind of the interesting thing, revelation about this year, is that there are people out there that feel that this year was a disappointment because they didn't win the conference and they didn't play in the New Year's Six. So is it a situation, Jeff, that I wonder is, is the expectations once again, and I think the answer is yes, is – New Year's Six or bust. I think that's going to be the expectation going into 2020, barely or not. Yeah, and I think that's also kind of a, a penalty of being in the group of five because, you know, that is that is the ultimate goal for those schools. And, you know, it, it, it really isn't fair, but uh, that is kind of the, 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 small, the small plateau that they have to shoot for. Well, and the bowl tie-ins do not help. I mean, the American Conference bowl tie-ins are, are, are certainly been questioned. I mean, UCF ends up at the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, I wrote about this on BlackAndGoBanneret.com. It, it turned out it's one of the it's the lowest rated and watched Gasparilla Bowl in the history of that bowl game, and for UCF bowl games that have aired on ESPN. And then part of it is 
the opponent you're playing, Marshall, who cares? Part of it is the time slot. That was a Monday afternoon 2.30 game pre-Christmas. Uh, usually bowl games draw better after Christmas. So um, in the America, you just have too many bowl slots that you just like, we should be better than that based on performance on the field. So you're right. I think that contributes to it, uh, among other things. Um, but, yeah, I think, to me, the expectations are going to be this is a program. Can they maintain 10-plus wins, compete for the conference title, and get to New Year's Six moving forward? I think that's the way that fans are nowadays in college football. It's not like it was when you and I were growing up and, ten, you know, oh, wow, 10 wins and all that, and it was a successful year. I think people now have – more expectations, fairly or not, that's just the way it is. Yeah, so let's talk about the basketball team for just a quick second because now they don't yeah. have nearly the same expectations of the football team <laughs> and and uh, even coming off a, a, a near miss of getting to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament last year of that great Duke game, you know, they have a whole entirely different team this year and what they're doing so far has been very impressive. They have. I mean, they came in within a bucket of beating Oklahoma at Norman. Uh, you know, they, they, they certainly, I think, have been better than I thought. I had a lot of questions about this team. I think the thing that's exciting from a UCF standpoint is you're getting guys like Dre Fuller uh, playing a lot, okay, as well as Darren Green. There's a couple of freshmen there, very significant roles on this team. You have guys like Colin Smith, I think, has played a, in a very high level, uh, among others. So, And I think they're defensively, they're getting better each game. The question, I think, that's going to limit this team I think this year is they don't have right now that guy that you know can create his own shot and get you and get himself a bucket in the final four minutes of the game. Yeah, you know, we had that the last few years with Aubrey Dawkins last year and B.J. Taylor. We were spoiled. We had two guys that in the final four minutes you can give them the basketball and they can either create for themselves or create for others. And I don't think we have that on this roster at this time. For various reasons, I think the best guy we have that can create his own shot right now is Dazon Ingram, who can tra- you know attack the basket. So I think we're limited from that standpoint offensively. Things have to go well offensively. They have to move the basketball and and, and find the open guy. They don't have a guy that can take over a game like they've had. I think that would limit this team. But you know, as we get into conference play, I, I am encouraged by the performance they had against Oklahoma. I am encouraged by the depth that they have. And I think Coach Dawkins has done a good job with this young team. And I just hope that we see the growth continue because we're not going to lose a lot of guys from this team. You're going to add to this team going into next year. I, You know, it, you're right. The, the expectations is this is a rebuilding year. And that's kind of the norm in college basketball. It's very different than football in that regard. And so if you can have a winning season this year and show the promise, and at the end of the year, Jeff, if you and I are talking in March and say, man, you know, I feel really good moving forward with these guys, these certain guys going into next season and the year beyond that, then this has been a successful season for Coach Dawkins and the Knights. Yeah, and I think you hit on one key point there is the the, the depth that they have. They, they look very deep. They're very versatile. And what I also, you know, it is a little bit different, you know, because... You know, with Taco Fall last year, the, you know they they centered a lot of what they did around him, and you know they they have to share the ball more uh, because they don't have the the quote unquote uh, main superstar shooter right now. So I think the fact that they're able to share the ball and uh, get a lot of people involved is is definitely a good thing. The thing, yes, and the thing I was encouraged, I was you know defensively, are they as good with, uh, with as last year defensively? No, because you have a you don't have a guy like Taco Fall that. 
literally takes away the paint offensively. But they're gotten better. And if you look at that Oklahoma game in the loss, they held an Oklahoma team that was averaging about 76 points a game that has two guys that can put 20 points a game on a given night. And they held them uh, to, what, 52 points, 50 points. They really are getting better defensively. They're taking charges. They're doing a good job staying with their guys. Their defense is going to give them chances to win on a nightly basis in conference play. The question's going to be, will they have enough offense, especially down the stretch in close games, will they have enough offense to get over the hump and maybe be instead of a, you know, 16 and 12 team or to a 19-20 win team. You know what I mean? That's that's going to be the difference here. What there's going to be X amount of games that are decided in the final possessions. Can UCF execute offensively and get those baskets that they need or will they come up short because they don't have that guy yet yeah and i also think it's interesting to see how colin smith has gone to another level i think as well i think he's really embracing being the leader of this team absolutely i'm so he is phenomenal and he's raised his game and it, it tends not a surprise remember colin last year at best was probably your third to fourth option on offense on a nightly basis behind bj aubrey and taco now he knows his role is he's most nights the go-to guy, and he's definitely taken that role offensively and defensively. He's, every game now it seems like he takes a charge or two charges, um, and that's a way to lead defensively. I think he's been a great leader, uh, and he's a big presence. I mean, uh, I don't think it's an accident. I think, too, that one of the reasons they need him on the floor, and he struggled offensively in the Oklahoma game, that also hurt the offense. He has to be good. He has to be a double-digit scorer for them to be successful offensively because that creates the inside-outside game because Johnny Dawkins believes in going inside uh, since he's been here. And I think that's the key with him. But he's been fantastic. Uh, it's been amazing to see uh, b- blossom his game. And he's an underrated passer because he gets doubled a lot, Jeff, and he's been able to swing it out to guys for open shots. He's been a, he's been a magnificent player, and I'm excited because he's just a redshirt junior. Hopefully he's back another year. Um, and be part of this program for uh, really been a big addition. He was already a big addition last year, helping that team get to the tournament with his contributions. And I think he's a big part of the contributions moving forward for this program for what he does this year and next year. All right, and let's keep it on basketball. Switch over to the NBA. You cover the Magic for uh, yes. uh, for twenty four seven News, and we're recording this podcast the day after Christmas. The Magic sitting on the eight line in the Eastern Conference, a thirteen and seventeen record. They had to do, deal without Vooch for a while due to injury. How would you assess their season to this point? Well, I think it's been a season. Some might be disappointed fresh off making the playoffs last year. I think people were expecting maybe this team to be preseason was a four or five seed. Uh, they're not that. And I think the reason they're not that, Jeff, it sounds familiar that we just talked about, they're very limited offensively. Uh, they don't have a guy that, again, can take over a basketball game. And in the NBA, this is imperative. Like, it's one thing not to have that in college basketball, but in college basketball, that's more common than not. In the NBA, if you want to be relevant, you have to have a guy that can take over a game offensively, and the Magic do not have that. They don't have that guy. Aaron Gordon has not been that guy. I think Jonathan Isaac is their best all-around basketball player. He leads the league in block shots. I think he's got a shot to be an all-defensive player of the year candidate in all defense. I've been very pleased with Isaac, but he's not an offensive guy. Uh, Vooch is a nice low-post score, but he's not a guy that takes over games. So they don't have that guy, and as a result, uh, they put a lot of pressure on their defense to keep them in games, but they don't have that guy that puts them over the hump in comparison to teams like the Miami 
Miami Heat, who signed a Jimmy Butler who can be that guy. And as a result, the Heat are better. You know, uh, you go across the board, teams have that go-to guy that can create his own shot or create for other players and take over games in the fourth quarter. The Magic don't have that guy yet. And I think that's what's going to cap them, in my opinion, at being a 7 or an 8 seed until they find that consistent score uh, either on this roster currently or or outside of this roster. Yeah, and, and as, as to, to the point of the way they have started this season, and again, injuries have been a little bit of, a, of an issue for them. Are they about where you thought they would be at this point? I know it was, you know, the second half last year where they where they really got on a hot streak and got their got their act together. They're going to need another resurgence of that type, I think, again this year. I agreed. Uh, you know, I think maybe I thought they'd be a couple games better, but to your point, they've had some injuries that probably has derailed that. Um, now let's talk positive. I think Markel Fultz has been a nice positive. This is a, a, a you know a trade they did last year. You didn't know. What to expect from Markel Fultz? I think he's been really good, and I and I want to see him continuing to develop. I think that's been a positive for the Magic in the point guard position. Evan Fournier has had a big year, uh, which is probably going to mean he's going to opt out and going to want more money. That's going to be tricky for the Magic, and I think that's going to be the issue for this Magic team: is do they stay in, uh, with the same roster, or do they make a move? either at the trade deadline this uh, during the season or in the offseason after this season, depending on how they finish the season. Because I think there are some questions, Jeff, and talking to people in the building that cover the league, there are a lot of questions whether, for example, an Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Nikola Vucevic front court can really work. Some believe that Jonathan Isaac would even be a better player if he wasn't playing with Aaron Gordon. That they're kind of the same type of player. Isaac has more upside, but they don't really complement each other's game. So do the Magic, for example, shop an Aaron Gordon, who hasn't had the year that I think some people thought, hasn't had the year to, the, the, his best year yet, do they shop him to try to find that score that they're looking for? Or do they stay pat? Do they trade a Nikola Vucevic down the road if a Mo Bamba continues to develop? So I think there's still a lot of questions about this roster moving forward in the next year or two and what direction they go to. And I think they're trying to figure out who are the guys that we could depend on and who maybe are the guys that maybe have hit their ceiling and we need to flip them now? And does a potentially not making the playoffs, if they were not to make the playoffs, is that a step backwards coming off of last season? Absolutely, yes. Yes, because you build on that momentum of making the playoffs. You had that great second half. You lose to the eventual NBA champions, Toronto Raptors. Uh, the TV ratings locally have been up. It's In fact, it's been the best ratings the Magic have had on Fox Sports Florida since Dwight Howard's last year, uh, to put that in perspective. <laughs> uh, so people were interested this year. And to not make the playoffs would be, I think, a disappointment for fan, for the fan base, and I think they would demand changes with the roster. I don't think anybody blames Steve Clifford on this, Jeff. I think Steve Clifford has done a heck of a job. I think he maximizes what he has. I just believe he has limitations on this roster, especially on the offensive end. Around the NBA, you know, we got Milwaukee's off to a 27-5 and start. Uh, many thought they would be the Eastern Conference uh, uh, participant in the finals last year. Toronto's still doing well. Sands, Kawhi Leonard at 21-10 and is, a, is a, on the sixth line right now. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting play going in the East, and I think the fun story that all, we all have our eyes on are the Boston Celtics and Taco Fall. Absolutely. We know what's fantastic about that, Jeff, is for the first time, 
maybe in a couple decades, we can actually legitimately talk about how the Eastern Conference has more depth as far as quality teams than the Western Conference. Uh, you mentioned Milwaukee with Giannis, who's the reigning MVP, might be the favorite to be a two-time MVP. You have Philadelphia, who has tremendous talent with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and former Magic Tobias Harris. Many people's pick to win uh, the, the Eastern Conference. Boston, with Kemba Walker being added to that team. Uh, a lot of young talent with Jason Tatum and company. And you mentioned the Taco Fall story. Taco Fall is one of the most popular guys going on right now in the NBA in basketball, going back to summer league. People want to see him play. People will get excited when he plays. You know, I covered him here at the preseason game when the Celtics were in town, and he's been working a lot with Jay Laranega, who's an assistant with the Celtics, uh, who's the son of Jim Laranega, who's the Miami Hurricane head coach. I couldn't recognize it. He was shooting three-pointers in warm-ups, Jeff, <laughs> and, and his shot looked good. He was making threes. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> totally different guy than what he left UCF, and it's a credit to him for the hard work that he has, that he has had and he's put in uh, to become a better basketball player and to improve his game. And as a result, he's made the Celtic roster. He's been contributing there uh, back and forth between the G League and the Celtics. Um, and he's been fun. I mean, fans enjoy him and, and watch him. And why not? He's a great guy and a great personality. So I'm excited for him and what he's doing there. And certainly the Celtics are in the mix. Indiana's had a great year despite the fact that Victor Oladipo is out. He'll be back in January, February, they hope. But they've been good. Miami, as I mentioned, has been good with Jimmy Butler signing the draft pick of Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo from the Kentucky boys. So they've got a really strong team. And then Toronto, you mentioned it, Nick Nurse has done a great job. Yes, they lose Kawhi Leonard, but Pascal Siakam has played at an all-star level. Uh, and they got a lot of depth there. So the East is really strong. I think it's 16 deep. And unfortunately, the Magic are kind of the casualty on that because I think before the year, people thought, well, maybe they can move up to four or five. But I don't think they anticipated the East to be as strong as it has been. And as a result, that's why I think the Magic, at best, are a 7 or an 8 seed this year. Uh, hopefully they make the playoffs, but they're going to have a tough challenge, whoever they play, if they make the playoffs in the first round. And has there been anything in the in the NBA season so far that has surprised you uh, to this point? And, you know, it is interesting now because now a little more focused. Now that we've got Christmas Day out of the way, it's kind of like the NBA's uh, uh, light shines a little brighter. Uh, anything surprising you so far this year? I think Toronto being as good as they were, I thought they would drop off. Um, that hasn't happened. Uh, surprise me, Indiana has played well this, without Victor Oladipo. Credit to Nate McMillan and the head coach there and the great job they've done. And I, you know, Just the fact that the East is better than the West in that regard. I mean, you look at the West, I don't see anybody outside the Lakers and the, the Clippers and the Lakers. I think the Clippers are the best team in basketball. I think Clippers, Lakers, after that, I think there's a drop-off in the West. Houston, you know, I don't think they're really legit come the playoffs. Um, Dallas is getting better with Doncic and Porzingis, but I don't think they're there yet. And there's a drop-off there. Utah's been a disappointment. Denver's a disappointment. Golden State's been shredded with injuries. Uh, the Pelicans have had a ton of injuries. That's been disappointing because we haven't seen Zion play yet. Um, so I think those are some of the surprises uh, to me is that how much depth the East has because I think they've got six legit good teams in the East. And I don't remember the last time, Jeff, that I've said that about the Eastern Conference. Yeah, that is pretty pretty true indeed. Um, let's uh, switch gears uh want to talk to you a little bit about the college football playoff because I know you are a guy who follows media and ratings uh, uh, quite closely. And now this year, 
we got the semifinals on a Saturday, and they've had some struggles getting good ratings out of those semifinal games. And I think now you really got the four best teams, so I think these matchups and the fact it's on a Saturday are going to bode well for them. Do you, do you agree? I do, and the other thing that will help is you have LSU, which brings big ratings. Ohio State is also in this tournament, in this playoff. They are, in fact, this year, Ohio State was the most watched college football team on average per game. Uh, Ohio State's a mega TV draw. LSU's a big TV draw with the New Orleans market. So that alone is going to help the numbers. I think the fact that the people were kind of ha- were tired of seeing Alabama, for example, well, and you got fresh blood in that regard, is good. Um, so, yeah, I think the ratings will be up and they'll be better. The question is, are they really, though, maximizing their potential? There are And there's articles out there, and I, I'm one of them. I believe that if the playoff was played on January 1st, which has been traditionally a big college football day, it would draw even bigger numbers. There's more people at home. Uh, it's a holiday. It's been a tradition. And I think sometimes they kind of hurt themselves by playing before January 1st, playing on a random Saturday. Um, because there are people that are just going to go out and maybe not stay home and watch the game. So I think there's pluses and minuses. I expect it to be up from last year when last year there was two debacles because there was two blowouts. I think that also plays a role. But I think the fact you have L- uh, LSU in the, in the playoff and you have Cle- uh, Ohio State, you've got a Midwest representation, um, it's not so Southern. You know, one of the other problems they've had in the last couple of years, it's been a very Southern playoff with SEC, ACC teams uh, in the mix for the most part. In fact, you know, a couple of think back when you had the two SEC teams and the ACC teams. The fact you've got Ohio State in the picture back in the playoff will help the numbers. But I am curious to see how well it does, and because I do think that will influence down the road the expanding of eight playoffs to eight teams because the bowl games – are, uh, the other bowl games, the non-playoff games, are in steady decline when it comes to viewership. We've already had up to six bowl games this year, Jeff, that have had historic low bowl numbers. And I think if those trends continue, that's going to cause television to expand the playoff into eight teams sooner than later. Yeah, which I definitely would think would be a, a great thing for the sport as well. And would also kind of go to your point, it kind of uh, expands their, their horizons a little bit, and it does allow them not to be so, quote-unquote, regional. Absolutely. I mean, look at the Pac-12. They have not been to the playoffs since 2016. If you expand it to eight, you guarantee the Pac-12 champion to be in. Now you've got the West Coast represented. I think that's the thing that's been missing from this playoff and why maybe they haven't hit their full number that they would like uh, every year, uh, among, as well as the date, as you brought up. Some of their dates, like the year they did it on New Year's Eve was absolutely ridiculous. It was yeah. absolutely absurd. And whoever came up with that idea should be fired. And But sometimes that's what happens with these college football playoff people. They don't think of those things. They're very naive. They're, they, don't, they, don't, they don't understand what's going on outside the box, if you will. So... Um, you know, I, I think it will go to eight. I've been very consistent about that, that it's going to go to eight. I just think it's going to wait until the TV contract runs out, probably closer to that 2025 season. But I do think we're going to go to eight eventually. And part of the reason is that because right now you're missing the West Coast. The West Coast is non-existent in this sport. And I think you, up until this year with Ohio State, the last few years, you've missed the Midwest. So I think those are big, valuable factors that I think will will be bigger reasons Big reasons why they will go to eight teams uh, in the future. 
Well, you'll find this interesting. Uh, you know, I've got the uh, I've I've got the uh, the Pitt uh, Eastern Michigan game on TV in the background, <laughs> and uh, as they're doing the run up on Pitt, they list. One of their highlights of the season, their upset of UCF. Oh, so boy. my how <laughs> that we is made it. they made you it. You know we've made it when we are now highlights of teams' biggest wins. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So we're coming to the end of a year of 2019, and uh, I wanted to ask you who, what is your favorite sports moment from this past year? For this past year. Uh, to me, was Tiger Woods winning the Masters? Um, you know, I, I didn't think Tiger would win another major with all the injuries he's had, all the off the field issues he's had, and just the way he won the Masters and that visual of him hugging his son, pretty much in the similar spot where he hugged his dad when he won his first Masters in '97. To me, that's the number one moment of 2019 for me in sports is Tiger Woods coming back and winning the Masters. It did a monster number. And remember, I remember where I was. I was doing a softball game, UCF softball game, because because of weather concerns, they moved up the Masters to the morning. Yes. And so I had it on in my uh, computer while I was calling a UCF softball game. And I remember people were, and, and people that don't follow golf were just interested in it. And then I actually went home after softball and watched the re-air um, that's how excited I was about it and how caught up I was in it. To me, that's the number one moment in 2019 uh, as far as sports is concerned is the Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I, w- I am actually going with the UCF Duke game as my favorite moment, and I can't believe I'm oh, going yeah, with Okay, you see now, now oh, wow. See, I would, I, the only reason I didn't have that one is because, well, the way it ended. Uh, yeah, I know, and I can't believe I'm doing it because of the way it ended. <laughs> but uh, just just the fact that they, you know, finally got their had gotten their first tournament win in history, and they played Duke to the bitter end, and and just one roll of the ball away from winning it um, in the greatest season in UCF basketball history. Uh, that was my top moment. So. Now we're coming to also the end of a decade. I I'll de- I'll de- real quick, I'll defend yeah. you on this. We voted that as the number one game of the year on Black and Gold Banneret for 2019, the 2018-2019 athletic year. We voted that number one despite the fact it was a loss. Just because the, the, the tremendous performance that they had, Aubrey Dawkins with the game he had, just it made everybody proud. Phenomenal. It's one of the best basketball games we'll ever see. By the way, a monster local rating and national rating for that basketball game. It's one of the most it's the most watched UCF sporting event ever in this country. Think about that yeah. for a second. So uh, I don't blame you for that. And that win with you. That would be my number one UCF moment of 2019. If I could cheat a little bit, if I just keep it to UCF, I would say winning that elusive NCAA tournament game and then coming so close against Duke in, a, in the national audience and the and that really the beginning of the explosion of Taco Fever. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, and and you know, and that's not cheating. There are no rules here. So, that's fine with me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, we're coming to an end of a decade now. I can't believe it's going to be 2020. I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I thought like, oh, 2020, that's like forever down the road and you blink and it's here. And uh, <laughs> so, what would be your favorite moment of the decade? In uh, for UCF or in general in sports. I think there's Yeah, I'll let you uh, I, I will st- Let's do both. All right, UCF, we'll start there. Um, boy, that, that's hard. It, uh, this has been a tremendous decade, and we're actually doing a project about this on com, where we're going to do, you know, 
decade content, basically. The teams of the decade, uh, where each sport and things like that. Obviously, to me, the moment that comes to mind uh, for UCF was being on the field Black Friday 2017 against South Florida in that crazy game. Maybe the best UCF football game that's ever been played against South Florida. The back-and-forth game, Quinton Flowers, and Mike Hughes returning that kickoff for the <laughs> touchdown. Mark Daniels with a famous call, boom! Yep. Uh, that's where it got born. Yep. That place explodes. I mean, to be on the field, Jeff, to see that stadium, I've never heard that stadium as loud, as wild, as crazy as that moment after he returned that kick uh, to win that game 49-42. I know a lot of people would say the Peach Bowl and winning that game in the interception, but None of that happens without that Mike Hughes kickoff return in that building in one of the most anticipated games on, in a game that was televised on ABC. That's my favorite game moment of the decade, if you will, uh, from a UCF standpoint. Right up there, by the way, with uh, let's give a, a nod to uh, Air per- the Hale Perriman to win the American Conference title in 2014 in Greenville and the Hail Mary pass from Holman to Prashad Perriman, which is still crazy yes. to think about that game. So I think those are the two that come to mind as far as UCF athletics is concerned. Uh, selfishly, I will uh, we'll make a quick shout-out. Samantha McClowski walk-off home run in UCF softball. I got to call a walk-off to win a conference tournament in 2015 on campus at UCF for the Americans. So that was cool, too, from a UCF standpoint. I think from an entire sports landscape, you know, I think a couple things. Off the court, the LeBron James decision i think changed the landscape of the nba and free agency mm. which is to the point now it's become huge huge thing in the summer in the offseason and it all started with that lebron going from cleveland to miami i think that changed the the landscape of basketball the nba free agency and offseason and, and movement how so many people are interested in movement to the point where some people are more interested in what happens in transactions in the nba than they do about the game that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, that, that definitely has transcended the sport. In I will follow up on your, your Mike Hughes story, which is interesting because I was uh, my seats in the stands that day were down uh, on the goal line at that end zone when he was bringing it back. And I just remember screaming, I want to have his baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, oh, my yeah. God, that was such a great play. That, that wasn't that, that's a moment where everybody remembers where they were. Yes, exactly. And and, and yeah. actually, that would be probably my second one. And my my in general and my UCF one are the same. My favorite moment was the J.J. Wharton catch at Temple. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's a lot from 2013 we could pick up from. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that one, the Temple game. How about Stanback hitting the Memphis kick returner to help a comeback win at Memphis? The Louisville comeback win. I remember I was at a uh, at a sports bar. And remember, they were down three touchdowns. It looked like it was over, and Bortles led them to the comeback. That 2013 year was an amazing ride. Yes. Just an amazing ride because it seemed like every game was just dramatic. Uh, more dramatic maybe than it should have been at times. But it was just unbelievable uh, to go through that. That's a good one too, though the Warden game with the Temple. Yeah, wild. Yeah, and and that 2013. Yeah, that does stand out as such a landmark year. And it all started with a win on the road at Penn State, a game I got to go to, and that, th- and that was really like the first time UCF had taken down a marquee team in the regular season. So that was a that was a big moment, and 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 the season just skyrocketed from there. No question. I mean, led him to the Fiesta Bowl year. Uh, remember, that year the only loss was to a Steve Spurrier in South Carolina with Jadavian Clowney. 
who would have thought we would be at a at Spectrum Stadium or Bright House as it was called back then? Yep. And we have we would have two of the top three NFL draft picks in 2013 on the same field with Clowney going number one, and then Blake Bortles who ended up going number three. Uh, that was pretty wild uh, to think about. Uh, but that's certainly for sure. You're right. That's when you think of moments. Yeah, the Penn State win was big. With Allen, I think Allen Robinson was on that Penn State team. He's been a very solid NFL wide receiver in the NFL. But that kind of really helped. Hey, this team might be really good and went on the run that they did. Winning the America when people didn't expect that. Louisville was the overwhelming favorite going into that year with Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. Um, and that's what made it special. And really, I, I think, was a, a landmark moment. You're absolutely right. That's one nobody will ever forget. Yeah, no question about it. Well, Eric, this has been a blast. I've uh, it, certainly enjoyed it and appreciate you being on from time to time throughout this season. And I do wish you uh, the best for a happy and, and prosperous, prosperous 2020. Same to you, Jeff. I appreciate all the great work you do. And, uh, hey, you know, it's fun to talk some UCF and magic and really reflect on some great decade here maybe the best it's the best decade in UCF athletics and uh, hopefully that momentum continues into the next decade that's absolutely correct thanks again Eric thanks Jeff and be sure to give Eric a follow on Twitter you can follow him at Eric Lopez ELO and he'll be able to keep you up to date with all that he is up to with the many hats that he wears and we thank Eric again for his time this evening you know, I mentioned uh, during the interview, the uh, the Pitt Eastern Michigan, they're playing in the Quick Lane Bowl, which is going on as I'm recording the podcast. And one of the most bizarre things I think I've ever seen, the Eastern Michigan coaches, uh, their attire, they're wearing the mechanic shirts. <laughs> Never seen that before. Interesting look. Untucked mechanic shirts. I guess they're ready to do some oil changes. After the game, I don't believe the pit coaches are following suit on on that particular deal. And to kind of follow up on keeping things in perspective. You were talking about people being disappointed in UCF's 10-win season. At least they're not the Miami Hurricanes, who dropped to 6-7. and seven. They lose their bowl game to Louisiana Tech, 14 to nothing. So the Canes are shut out. And they only had 227 yards of offense for the game. <laughs> the U is back. And they've like lost nine of their last 10 bowl games. They're blown out in the pinstripe bowl. They haven't scored a touchdown in a bowl game in two years. And I also like to think there's a little karma involved there. You know, Manny Diaz with his, what, 18 days at Temple as their head coach before hightailing it back to Miami when that job became open on Mark Rick's retirement. See, I think that's what happened to Willie Taggart at Florida State. You know, ditching Oregon after a season. You know, leaving USF for the greener pastures of the great Northwest. And then Florida State opens up and he ditches them after the year. Eh, I think karma got him a little bit as well. Thanks again so much for listening. Always a pleasure to have you. And please do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And again, we're available on so many of the platforms just recently added to iHeartRadio. So if that's one of your favorite uh, podcast platforms, uh, you can uh, get us hooked up on that subscription there as well. And uh, again, we're about to end 2019, end of decade, end of year. 
and headed to 2020. And so I'll be back with a new podcast for you next year, as early as next week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.